And this is different than anything, any clinic around. Workouts that are tailored for her, and that really makes a difference. Really personal. I've gotten way more mobile, stronger, flexible. So everything just improves me to the next level. Welcome to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where we push sports performance and physical therapy to its apex. We change the game by bringing together the brightest minds in the field to offer best practices and question how things are done today. I'm your host, Mike Quintins, physical therapist and expert in sports orthopedics. I'm living my dream and opened a clinic that unites all elements of sports medicine under one roof to drive recovery and performance outcomes. Hey, Performance Therapy Nation, this is your podcast producer, Isabella. We know a lot of you are getting back into spring running, so we wanted to bring you this replay from season one of our conversation with Tracy Peel about running mechanics. What's happening, Performance Therapy Nation? This is Mike Quintins, your host of the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. Today, I'm joined by sports performance coach and running mechanics guru, Tracy Peel. We will be diving into how Tracy assesses a runner or athlete, his background in the pose method, and what separates him from most others in his field. But first, I want to take a moment to thank you right now for listening to the podcast. Uh, you guys have shown a lot of love by subscribing and leaving five-star reviews. A big part of what we do depends on our reviews and subscribers. It would mean the absolute world to me if you would leave me a review and, uh, and share your thoughts. All right, so Tracy Peel is an elite speed coach and movement specialist. He has been engaged in the field of individual and group athletics, strength training, and physical conditioning for over 25 years while continuing to expand his field of expertise. As a movement expert, Tracy analyzes sports biomechanics to provide the most effective way to increase speed, efficiency, quickness, agility, power, and endurance. Through a unique re-engineering of the athlete's understanding of propulsive motion, together with an intense focus on specialized drills and exercises, Tracy retrains an athlete's neuromuscular firing patterns in order to improve form and technique. All athletes benefit from his method methodological approach to skill acquisition, performance technique, and injury prevention. And, and I, this is uh, Tracy's bio. I, I'm, I'm eating <laughs> all of it up. I mean, I, like this is it. I mean, when I read neuromuscular firing patterns, it's funny, right before we started, that's exactly what we were diving into. It is. We should have recorded the last 45 minutes of our conversation uh, off, off mic because uh, I think that's really uh, us talking chop, you know? Oh, and that's how I want this to, to go. That's how most of these podcasts have gone is we're shooting a breeze. It's super casual, um, relaxed, and, uh, and there's no like cutting me anybody off I you know you're not gonna hurt my feelings so uh I, I would love to like dive into like you okay like I just described you off off air as the <laughs> renaissance man so t t tell me about you uh wherever you want to start uh and uh yeah let's get into it okay um I guess I'll start in the beginning um because I and one of the questions that you fired at me uh, before we met was you know how did I get involved in sports um so I was a typical kid from Philadelphia um, played football, baseball, basketball, uh, was a horrible baseball player. Um, <laughs> was not a good football player, even though I caught one touchdown was like the highlight of my career. 
it was, it was an out pattern that I finally grabbed the ball. And my dad was the head coach, and he was shaking his head the whole time because he had an opportunity to play with the Colts until he hurt his knee. Um, and then basketball just became the one that I gravitated towards. You know, my dad at some point, I think I was like nine years old, said, pick one. And that's not typical, right? Usually right. it's like you're trying to play multiple sports and be a well-rounded athlete. And he said, you know, just pick one and that's the one you're going to do. And I chose basketball and that became my sport. Uh, I went to Slazianum High School in Wilmington, uh, fortunate enough to be all state and all that stuff. I uh, got recruited by Penn State, uh, played there for two years and then left and uh, moved on to University of Delaware for my final two years of, of playing sport. Um, after that, and after college, I got into a little bit of everything. So I ran a couple half marathons. I was a powerlifter for years. So I was like eight times the size I am now. So how did you get into like powerlifting? Like how does a basketball player get into powerlifting? I know it's crazy, right? The running makes sense, right? But the powerlifting was really. I started weightlifting, and then when I started uh, managing a gym with a friend of mine, he was a powerlifter, which is so funny because I saw him recently. He's like half the size he used to be you know, then. So, uh, we just started lifting a lot. And then he said, you know, you could probably power lift. And, you know, I had a, a competitive nature always. And so I just started becoming a power lifter. Um, the best part was the eating part. Absolutely. <laughs> so how many, I mean, you're throwing, Oh my God. It was like, eat whatever I could eat. So I would eat, let's say I had a big cheesesteak and fries for, for lunch. And then he'd say, well, where's your weight gainer? And then I drink the weight gear and he goes, well, where's your peanut butter sandwich after? Like it was constant eating. It was ridiculous. And so I, you know, we follow one another on, on Instagram and you post pictures of food all the time. You love to eat out and you cook at home and so forth. So is that where like, where's, where's your love for food come from? Um, (laughs) it's it's a funny, right? Uh, when I got divorced, it it was my love of food came because then, you know, I had my kids at the time and I'm like, okay, I can't do takeout every day. And so uh, I decided to start cooking. So really, I taught myself how to cook, which I know you're going to laugh because I teach myself basically everything. I was going to say yeah. that just uh, goes with the theme. that's my mo, right? And so I watched a lot of uh, you know Food Network and Chop Kitchen and stuff. And I wouldn't look for the competition. I'd look for recipes and I looked to see how they cut an onion or how they created a sauce or how they did stuff. So I kind of you know absorbed all that. And um, I don't know. I started cooking after that and it became a passion. Uh, I love uh, a lot of the great restaurants in town, even though COVID has gotten in the way of it a little bit. But, um, you know, I cook a lot. I cook a lot for my girlfriend. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. So what, and where do you live? Like, because Philadelphia, like you said, Mecca for food. Um, you're all over. You're in New Jersey. You're in New York. Uh, Northern Jersey, even. A lot of good food up there, too. No. <laughs> Philadelphia is way better than Northern Jersey. No offense to all my Jersey friends out there, but uh, Philadelphia food is just great. The amount of restaurants and the quality is is so high. But um, yeah, I mean, I am in Jersey a lot. South Jersey, North Jersey, I work uh, a little bit of Pennsylvania. I've I've had clients in Virginia. I've gone to Connecticut. So I kind of decided at some point, like wherever the business is, I'm going to go to it. That's that's unique. You don't hear that. Usually it's how I have this facility and this is the state of the art equipment we have. Right. Like, like you show up with like you. I and, show up and, wherever. Yeah. I mean, you probably have a handful of like, like equipment that can fit into your car, but you, that's what you do. And that's special. So you're, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Like what equipment are you bringing to your training sessions? And, uh, 
Yeah, so let's start with that. Uh, uh, the best equipment I bring is my mind and my imagination. Um, I don't bring a lot. I might bring some bands or a PVC pipe or something like that uh, to bring into a session. But normally it's, you know, I do a lot of running analysis, obviously. And so it's hard to do that indoors as much. I'd rather do it outside and not necessarily on a treadmill. So that allows me then to meet at a track or turf somewhere um, in another part of the country, um, whether that's anywhere from up and down the 95 corridor. Um, so it's, it's really, I do a lot of just gate evaluation and analysis and the people show up and I use a lot of video tape, you know, I record a lot, I break down video a lot and I'm trying to reteach, reeducate, uh, like we talked about before we got on fool my athletes into, uh, doing what I think is correct. Again, unique in that, uh, like you don't have your own place or location, so, uh, like, why not? Why, why, why won't you? Like, and, and I'm a, what I'm kind a of vagabond, you know, by nature. Um, I like to be in many different areas. I like change. Um, but yeah, when the right opportunity comes and presents itself, I would, you know, gladly affiliate myself, you know, perhaps do a gate lab or something um, that we've discussed. But um, I don't know. I, I have always liked to be outside. I've always enjoyed the idea of working with athletes, you know, in vitro, like where they're actually doing what they do. So if you have a soccer player that's got a problem, it's hard to see that here in the clinic, but it's much easier for me to say, okay, kick the ball into that net and let me see what's going on. And then let's work on that or, you know, lacrosse shooting or any other things that I I get myself involved in. All right. So how about, how did you get interested in like running mechanics? Like, where, where did that start? You had mentioned you, you had your own gym. Um, where did that come from? Right. So after I, I, I power lifted, and I, and I was a pretty good power lifter. I mean, I have a 675 max squat, 700 deadlift. Um, my bench was not great. Mid threes, maybe. I, I, and how, how tall are you? Tracy, six you're four. not sure. 6'4", right? Six four. So someone who's 6'4", squat in that kind of weight. I became 6'4 by 6'4". <laughs> and that's how I did it. So, you know, I was, I looked pregnant. I looked, I was so big, but that allowed me to squat well, but it was very funny because as my weight went up, my squat went up and my deadlift went down. So my best deadlift, I was a little bit smaller, quote unquote. And then as that changed, my squat got higher. My bench was always probably relatively the same. So I had hurt my back actually deadlifting in practice. So I was picking up, I don't know, it was like 625, and I was coming up to the lockout, and my back went pop. And I just hit the floor, and I'm laying on the ground, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be it. And luckily, there was a Cairo in the, in the gym. And so I went to him, and he did some work, and 10 days later, I actually did the meet, actually won the meet or won my weight. It was, it was incredible. And I said, okay, I've had enough of the powerlifting. It's been a couple of years, three years, two years I was doing it. And I, for some reason, wanted to cycle. I guess Lance, it was the beginning of when Lance was coming back sure. in. And so we're getting that, you know, uh, excitement over that. Sure. And so I got on a bike and remember I hadn't done any cardio for a very long time. And I tried to climb this hill and my legs were just, they just blew up. So I'm like, okay, I got to be better than this. So I kind of became a cyclist or cycled a lot and really got into it. Um, Hold on. Basketball, uh, football, <laughs> baseball, right? Basketball. How the collegiate at Penn State yeah. Division One, right. uh, Big, Big Ten, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously University of Delaware. Uh, 
power lifter. Yes. Cyclist. Right. I mean, I, I can't think of three sports on the opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> they are. I like challenges. I didn't even talk about yoga <laughs> no, and all the other stuff. Yoga and all their stuff I've done. But, um, yeah, I, I, I got a little bit frustrated by that first uh, attempt at a climb, got really into cycling, and then I decided to do some duathlons. My wife at the time was doing some triathlons, and she had a coach, and then I got a coach, and I'm like, hey, I could probably coach. So then I start, so I got certified as a triathlon coach. And in that certification, they had the running portion, and in the running portion, they mentioned Nicholas Romanoff and what was the pose method, and that was my first, you know, uh, hint that something different out there existed. And so I got his uh, video at the time and uh, put the videotape in and looked at him like it made no sense. And I was doing a lot of strength conditioning stuff at the time and then went back to the video a little bit later. And he's talking about gravity and a cheetah and a tire wheel. And I'm like, what is this man talking about? He's hopping around in Miami and it's like making no sense to me. And so I had to meet him. So how long ago, like what year was this? Uh, like early 2000. So I think I did a clinic with him. I invited him up to, I was living in Delaware at the time. I invited him up for a clinic and he came up. It was like 10 people. So that was 2004. And I met him and it, he's just a different dude. Like he's brilliant. He's a genius. He's very wry, um, self-deprecating, very funny, but I still remember, I'll always remember this. The first thing he did, he pulled out all these papers, pieces of paper and pencils and he gave it to everybody in class and said, okay, draw me a picture of a runner. And when you got it back, you saw there was 10 of us, you saw 10 different pictures. And that's when I began to understand that he might know something. You know, so um, we went out to dinner that night after the first day. It totally blew my mind. And I said to myself, okay, either this guy is like Einstein or he's crazy. It's like certifiable because it was such a different approach to sure. looking at life. Yep. And I chose that he was a genius and I've never been mistaken. Like he's been a great mentor and teacher for me. Um, and so that started my process with, with Pose Method. So you go from watching this, this throw this tape in the VHS uh, and know what that's like. Yep. And uh, that's how we would watch high school film, like right. high school football. Like we had the, the block and you know, the rewind and it was, it would get fuzzy. Right, 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 play, right. You couldn't yeah. see anything, not like the huddle technique right. and all that stuff they got now. But so you throw this VHS in, you're watching this and like, like, all right, this, I, this is so difficult to comprehend. I'm just going to go back to powerlifting for a little bit and I'll be right back. So you yeah. come back, you watch the tape again right. and something clicks with you. I want to know what, like what click took, and you're, and you're special, and I've known uh, you for some time right. now, about a year, uh, maybe even less. Uh, like, you'll go out and you'll call Roman off yourself. Yes. What, like that. Yeah. When the student is ready, the teacher appears kind of thing. And I think I was just at that moment where I had done a lot of personal training. I would worked in a gym. I was doing some strength conditioning. And I just felt like there, I don't know, it was in the back of my head that something was missing or there was something else for me to learn that I just didn't know I had to go there to learn yet. And then when he popped up, it just seemed to be, I don't know, I might've watched the video three, four, five, ten 10 times. And then just one of those times it's like, okay, I got to meet this person because it's not, I thought I was a smart person and uh, it just wasn't making sense enough to me to understand it. So but there had to be something there that like kept you intrigued. You didn't just know. like roll it up and throw it out. So it's something about, 
uh, gravity or something along those lines. And, and I think that's what's unique. And when you and I sat down for the first time uh, last November, I think, uh, we were in Wayne at a restaurant, we, you know, we met outside and you're like, uh, what does gravity mean to you? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, and I, what you're saying about Romanoff is I'm like, what's this guy talking about gravity? I'm like, well, yeah, gravity impacts everything we do. Right. You're like, yeah, exactly. Even running. So what everything. So, so I, so that's pretty cool that you reached out to Romanoff he, for a clinic. He comes up mm-hmm. and, and you still weren't sold at that point on Romanoff and you let him kind of like obviously take some control over the clinic. Uh, all, all the control, all the control all of the clinic. Control, yeah. So, so, all right, then what? So wh- wh- well, what happened the after that? Day, Cause that started the pot for you. Yeah. I think the second day when he started doing gate analysis was when it started to really kick in. Cause then I could really see how I was running or the other people in the clinic were running and how he was, um, you know, cutting up that the video and looking at, breakdowns and looking at the evaluation of how they were moving. And I thought this is something really special, you know? Um, so I finished that and I was so excited, you know, by it. And that might've been early fall. And then by December, I was like in Florida <laughs> getting my first certification with him. Like wow. I went immediately you, because I was just, first. I went head first. Cause Enamored I'm like, okay, it. this, I think this is it, you know? Uh, and in subsequent years after I went like two or three more times in a row uh, year after year to recertify or get a higher certification uh, with him. So, so you have this new approach uh, or view at least, and you're, you're very observant. You talked about that with some of your, your cooking um, and watching some of those shows. How has that degree of like being observant in, uh, like come into play in, in what you do? Obviously you're, you're observing the runner, you know, run, uh, but that's kind of like you, you learn, you learn that way. Obviously you teach that way, but you learn that way too. Am I right in saying that? Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's not that I, I have Nicholas's eye, but I, I learned to look at things in detail. Like he started looking at things, you know, when you start to break down video frame by frame and begin to see exactly what people are doing, it, it gives you that nuance that you understand, Oh, if I just keep looking at it deeper and, and engage myself. I can see certain things. Um, you can see people's emotions and how they run. You can see their psychology. Like there's a lot, it's a lot deeper than people see or understand. Um, and then I've had another great mentor, you know, friend of our Dr. Lee Cohen. And, you know, I hung out with Lee for many years and he gave me the ability to, you know, see gait analysis through his eyes and how, you know, a, a doctor of podiatric medicine would do it. And I kind of took what I've learned from Lee from watching people walk and move over and over and over again with what I got from Nicholas and kind of created my own little way of looking at people and understanding their gait and understanding the things I can do to, you know, help them. That's, that's what the great ones do. And, and what I've learned in uh, my, my whole life, my young life at this point, is that the, the great ones are able to pull from, from different mentors or um, whether they've met them or read them or, you know, uh, whatever else. So I got certifications from them, what have you, and develop their own uh, style or, or way of how they, how they do things. So obviously I know you took from Romanoff. I know you took from, some, from Lee Cowing. At least we got to dive into that a little bit. Um, what, do you, what do you do that's different? Like, like how does your mind work differently uh, than what you've learned from, from Romanoff and the pose method? 
Um, I'm a very conceptual thinker. Um, I think with, with Nicholas, obviously the nuts and bolts of what pose is about, um, I really got, I was fortunate after maybe the third certification, um, we had this idea of maybe creating a track and field team that was under his banner, his umbrella. And so I found some triple jumpers to coach and, and some hurdlers and some other people. And it kind of all shook out. And we had two triple jumpers that lived up here um, that we were able to coach together. And that was really when the education began because we would go back to Florida like every five weeks, we'd have like a short camp. And then I was being exposed to something I'd never been exposed to, which is how to coach track and field athletes, how to coach jumpers, what that all means. How does that relate to pose method? Cause everyone thinks pose method is just about running. So what is the pose method about? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that question. Um, pose method really is a general movement theory and it's a general movement theory based on the fact that we as a biological system is in a gravitational field. So what does gravity mean to us in every activity is basically what pose is helping, uh, show, you know, helping to make more clear. And, and, and biomechanically the way our joints and muscles function what is the ideal way for our foot and the chain effect up, right? To right. react to the ground, mm -hmm. to propel one from one direction to another as fast as possible. Basically movement is all really two things, right? So gravity to us is our body weight. Body weight is our potential energy. Free falling or moving from that balance is the kinetic energy. So it's really just cycles of body weight and free falling. You know, it's like you're on support, then you lose support. You have balance and you lose balance and you get new balance, and you lose balance again. It's over and over and over again. And so you're taking that application to everything involved. So as far as running is concerned and what you were talking about, the foot on the ground, you're trying to essentially, and this is one of Romanoff's terms, you're trying to unweigh yourself from the ground. So if you can unweigh yourself quickly, that rate of interaction has to be really fast. Then you can get yourself back into the next pose or position where the body falls again. That's your only responsibility. So when there's muscular effort and there's deceleration and there's stress and strain or injury, that's because you haven't followed the guidelines that have been established by our natural environment. All right. I, this is, I love where this is going. And now let's dive into it a little bit, a little bit more. So when your, your foot hits the ground, like, is there one way you teach things? Like, is there one way uh, an individual should run? Are you teaching variations of things uh, in terms of, uh, and, and I know you hate the word pulling, right? <laughs> so, and, and, and I, let's, let's get into this, right? Okay. Uh, Cause I think this is what, this is what our listeners want to want to know is that like, what is your trained eye looking at? And, and then how do you, how do you teach that? Like, how do you teach? And I know you said tricking your athletes. So what is your trained eye looking at? And what, what exactly are you trying to teach? I think in this field, and I think you might know this, it, people are afraid to say, this is the way, or this is the standard, but there has to be, because how are you going to evaluate? How are you going to judge if you're not looking something based on a standard or deviation from a standard? So I believe that the standard is, what is your body? Where is your body in space when your foot hits the ground? And so the further that your body is away from your foot, 
the more deceleration, the more absorption, the more your body compresses into the ground. That little zone is my phrase. I call it the pain zone. So any non-contact sports injury to me, after all the years I've done this, is related to the amount of time it takes for your body to catch up to your foot. So the sooner your body catches up to, the, to, the, to your foot, the less opportunity or less chance you have of a, incurring some injury. Once your body catches up, then the body then starts to go past. So you're starting to tilt or lever or free fall past your support foot. At that moment or instant, you have to then pick up your foot, pull your foot, however you want to call it, to get yourself back to the next position where you're falling in because obviously your objective is to fall. And you're going to fall. So it's not like Romanoff has said, if you don't pick up your foot and don't, like everybody falls anyway. What Romanoff is looking at and what I'm looking at specifically is the quality of your running or the quality of your movement. Yes, everybody that puts one foot in front of the other is running. But there's a lot of people that run injured or, get, or sustain injury from running. Sure. There's a lot of people that don't perform at the level they want to perform. And the question is why? And that why is found in how you're moving. So your instruction then is, is relatively consistent throughout. So, and this is a, an answer we would joke around all the time in PT school is that, uh, oh, it depends. <laughs> and like, I would like, it depends on what, tell me what depends on. So, so for, in, from your perspective, uh, and I understand that the falling concept that makes perfect. I mean, that's what walking is. That's what, especially running, R- running is, uh, forceful falling, controlled while falling, and then controlled forceful falling uh, because of the amount of force that's being applied to the ground and the body's lean. Um, so I, I, and I've watched you, um, you know, train, you trained my, my wife uh, right, right in front of me. It was awesome to see your, um, you, you emphasize like the leaning of the trunk and the trunk's got to like lean forward. Right. And then the heels got to come up to the butt. Uh, and that to mechanically, like I, I appreciate mechanics. Uh, to me, I, that's how I think. I see things mechanically, similar to how you see things. And for the foot to land in a position for the, the posterior chain, the glutes, the hamstrings, the calves, you know, even the extensors of the, the spine to really function and push the ground, pull the ground back, uh, some would say, uh, and propel the body that way, the trunk has to lean forward and the foot has to land in a certain position to do that. Otherwise, if it's outside of that, it's in the pain zone. It's in the pain zone. So, so, so tell me about um, your cueing. What, what, what well, based on things. what you were saying, you know, what you're really trying to do, what we're talking about is having extended hips, I guess, essentially, as soon as you can. You know, that's the, the tricky part, because if you are landing with your foot ahead of yourself, if you're an overstrider, if you're a heel striker, your center of mass, so your hips are too far behind what's landing. So it's taking you too much time to catch up. So that's delaying what's the inevitable piece of it. The other part of it is that you're not really pawing the ground or pushing the ground. It's like an engagement that may feel like that, but it's not really. It's like the foot is landing. Those forces are there. Ground reaction force is happening. The body's moving over it. You go from positions of more body weight to body weight to less than one body weight, pick up your foot next time, you know, the new one. So it's kind of, that's what happens. Like everybody has a little bit of a 
a wordplay, a little bit of interpretation of how they want to say it. And we all kind of mean the same thing. But sometimes when you say things a little bit differently, then the athlete then tends to do those things. So my cue to my athletes, it's always pretty simple. Like, get your foot off the ground. Like, you have to get off the ground. I may say 20 different things, but they're all revolved around the fact that you're not getting your foot off the ground soon enough. So I have to say other things to you, like your hips aren't aligned or they're not level enough or your, your head's too forward or your back's rounded or all the other things that I may talk about. But it's all talking about them to get them to the point where when they touch the ground, they pick their foot. And that's what great coaches do. And that's what I appreciate the most about you. And you said this earlier, you trick your athletes into doing what you want them to do. And what you really mean is that you're not deceiving them per se. Uh, you're, you're more so getting them to, or you're adapting your ability for them to see what you want them to do or them to feel what you want them to do. Uh, so you try every avenue freaking possible to get them to understand that they got to pick that foot up and they have to pull, bring it up to a certain point, uh, and then put it back down again. And, and posture and all that is, is all, is all related. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. Um, it's gotta be related because if you're like, you take Usain Bolt, you know, uh, like my hero, my hero (laughs) among heroes. Um, and everybody looks at him and says, it's a different kind of running mechanics because he seems so straight, but, but he's not, he's free falling tremendously because he is almost straight when he's landing and then he's falling immediately. Then he goes back to that position again. So because he's six, five people think he has such a long stride. I've shown people videotapes of Bolt running in slow motion. His foot is landing underneath his body each and every time. Like it's, there's no waiting. So your foot lands, you fall, your foot lands, you fall. So that's the efficiency. But posturally he's right there. He's always in that extended broad, foot underneath the hip, like it's, it's beautiful. But you see that in other runners too. I mean, it's not just Bolt. You might see it in, you know, Kipchoge, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could see it in um, uh, Cheptege, who just broke 5,000 meter record. Like yeah. in great runners, regardless of distance, you will see the same thing. And I'm talking about like world record holding. Sure. Yeah, that quality. So I, I'd heard this once, and, and tell me if this is, uh, is true or not. Um, Cadence, right? How often the foot hits the ground uh, in a minute? And people talk, listen, and read. One eighty is ideal, right? So, you know, and and essentially that's what you're saying. Your foot hits the ground, like pick it up and put it down again. Uh, as long as you control your, you know, your lean, then that that's uh, is there a difference in those sprinters, their cadence versus uh, someone like. You know, a marathon runner or like... Yeah, I mean, a marathon runner's cadence is not going to be like a world-class sprinter. I mean, obviously, but that's related to falling angle. So if you're falling, let's say a world-class runner, you know, Kipchoge may have been falling on average 17.5, 17.8 degrees of falling from support. Sure. That requires a certain cadence. If Bolt's at 21, 22, whatever the number could be up to 30s at, at moments then that requires another cadence. Sure. So what I do with athletes is I'm not so much telling them to fall at a certain angle. What I'm gauging is can they handle the angle that they're falling from? And so sometimes I have to pull them back because you could get somebody that looks tremendous where they're in that tight kind of figure four position that we've been talking about, but they're at 35 degrees. They can't handle that. I know they can't handle it. So then they do other things until they get to the next 35 and I'm saying, no, let's, 
we can pull this back a little bit. If I get them into like 20, 21, 19, then they can keep then getting their foot where it should be underneath their body and they can pick it up and they can handle it. So a lot of times with athletes, it's, it's not only just fixing the mechanics, it's also understanding their skill and their capability. And that's really what I'm trying to train is improve their skill of movement based on a particular standard. And I always have that standard in my mind as I'm changing um, the ways I go about, you know, unearthing better skill and out of them and technique to get to that particular standard. How, how will you, how would you start a session of yours? Like first time working with somebody, um, like where do you start? Cause this all sounds like conceptually, I love it. Right. I wouldn't know what, like if like with that perspective, where, where do you start? Uh, walk over there and run <laughs> and I, and I record them and that's how I started. Like, it's really very simple. Cause all I want to do is see them in action. Um, and I might record it from the side. I might record it from behind, especially if I feel like they're coming to me for some injuries or I see something I don't really love in what they're doing. I like that rear view because it gives me a lot more understanding of, you know, pronation and, you know, knee valgus and, Trendelenburg of the hip or whatever, like I, I need to see all that. So I kind of take multiple views and then I understand then what's happening. Sometimes, and I've been doing this a lot more lately, I'll just have them stand and I'll look at what did they look like standing in front of me plus what I see in the run. And then I'm, I'm really good at getting that like in my head and know what to do next immediately. And then we just go right into it. So you're using almost, um, it says you're, you're almost using body type or uh, or how one presents themselves mm-hmm. in front of you posturally statically almost but I mean dynamic because they're walking but essentially like their static posture and how they're shaped and you kind of already have an idea like I, I, I know how they're gonna move because you've done this so many times and you know how how the body works right like if I'm seeing pronation or uh, just you know. walking or just from standing, just you know, standing, you can right. see that then, you know, if I see that arch collapsing, if I see, you know, the knee internally rotating, if I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, that left shoulder looks a little bit tight or they look, you know, a little bit stressed in their hip or something. Then I know going into looking at the run or relooking at the run, what they're predisposed to perhaps doing. So then my question then has to be, is it something I have to unwind out of them first to get what I want, or maybe I can teach them through the process and then see how the body's responding after that. And how would you unwind when you, when you use that word? Like, uh, is you it- know, it's like, I'll do mobility stuff on them, you know? Um, uh, unfortunately I, I'm using or fortunately I'm using a situation where I can, you know, manipulate them a little bit and try to unwind some body parts that may be tight and see if that works when they're actually moving. You okay. Know? So, and as a physical therapist, uh, and uh, this is important to me because I think uh, PTs need to understand that, like, yes, we are the ones who can mobilize and, and like, do soft tissue techniques, and that's in our state, in our practice act, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I stand firmly by that. I think that's all wonderful and great. But if you have the ability and the knowledge uh, based on your previous experiences, to do things like that. And that's what's best for that individual. And you've been trained in those techniques. And why the heck wouldn't you use them? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just want to like, put your egos aside, physical therapist. Uh, right. right. And I'm in every single podcast we've done. I want to talk about this because I know there's PTs who just heard what you just said. And like, or chiropractors, he used the word manipulate. 
Did he just use that word? He can't use that word. No, you can't use the word adjust, though. Don't say adjust to I that. Did, I didn't say I, adjust. I, right, I know, right? God forbid. Uh, but like the word manipulate, like PTs can't use the word manipulate in our in our notes. That's what I've been told. Use it. Call it a grade five mobilization. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, ex- thank you. Uh, you're doing what's best for for the your client that you're working with. Uh, and kudos to you for, for like, and you're fearless and, and proud as all heck. And so you never crossed your mind to not say that. Uh, and so I'm, I'm thrilled that you, that, cause we've talked about this before about you doing techniques and, uh, different types of stretching and you have a background in yoga, which we didn't even dive into, uh, yet, but good for you that you're doing that and, and you're addressing a deficit in mobility and, uh, you're unwinding that wrinkle, so to speak. So then what happens next? You're hoping that that technique that you applied will then carry over to their ability to, to uh, adapt to what you're teaching them. Yeah, right. I mean, I think what you have to understand, I get a lot of people that are injured and I get a lot of people that come from PT. If it's three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday and I'm on a track somewhere, I have to be able to have some answers, Right. Hey, you're not calling me up. <laughs> I'm not calling you up. You know, you have a family, you know, you got your stuff to do. So, no, but you know what you're doing. I mean, it's not even that. It's yeah, not even that. and it's because I've done it for so long. And I'm, I would say that I'm more than cautious, even though I'm fearless. So I'm not going to worry about stuff, but I'm also, I have to be right. You know, like if you go to a PT office and it doesn't work, you go to another PT office. Yeah. By the time a doctor or a therapist or someone gave them my number or a friend and says, okay, he's the guy that can fix you, I have no business if I can't fix them. So if I was injuring people and hurting people or doing things that were unsafe, I'd be in trouble. Sure. Just from a purely business perspective. So Absolutely. I'm very cautious of my approach. If I need to bring in someone else, I will bring in someone else. If I seem to refer them, I'll refer them. But a lot of times, yeah, I have to handle it myself because I'm the one that's there and I know how to do that in a way that's effective. The, the number one thing a, a PT can do uh, is cause no harm, right? Like that's at the very least, if we do nothing else, we don't help you at all. It, we, we can't make it worse. We can't, we can't hurt you. Right. Uh, so, so the same goes and that's pretty much what you're saying. And you, the only tools uh, that you have is you. And you know, when you're on the track in uh, Flemington, New Jersey. So, uh, all right. So you, so what happens next in the process? If you have to unwind um, now, what does that give you the ability to do? What, what are you hoping for at that? Point? Well, then I'll go back Let's say it was a particular situation that I thought was a hiccup, you know, like say an interior hip tilt or something where I thought their psoas was tight and I've done some work to try to loosen that psoas. Then I'll have them run again and then I'm evaluating again. So it's really, you know, it's just like chiseling away, you know, at a piece of uh, rock or clay or manipulating clay to try to get that artwork. So I do a little bit of this. OK, run again. OK, and now I need a little bit of this and then run again. And so it's a constant back and forth between what do I feel I need to do to get them to move in a way that's most efficient and easy for them and stress free for them. That's super impressive because in PT uh, and this is more advanced. Like I, I had a residency in orthopedics. And one of my biggest takeaway takeaways was uh, they would recommend test, treat, retest. That's what you're doing. Right. And I got a doctorate degree. I went to this residency and they teach all these hands-on techniques and all these fancy names for them. 
And essentially, that's what you're doing. Uh, it's not rocket science, but it takes discipline to not uh, shotgun approach and do a million different things and say, okay, let's see how it looks now. Then you don't know what worked. Right. I, I usually go bit by bit. You know, I try to take the thing that I think is the most egregious and let me work on that first. Okay, now let's see. Mm, and they give me feedback. So I'm really going with their feedback. Like, do you still hurt? You still feeling pain in X area? If not, okay, we're good. Let's move this way. If you are, okay, come back. Let's work on this part. Let's go back. Now run. What do you feel? I'll change tempos. Um, you know, I'll do different drills or exercises with them. And a lot of times it's just to gauge their response, you know. So typically it might be normal running. If I want to amp things up, maybe I'll do agility ladder. If I want to amp beyond that, maybe I'll do low hurdle hopping. So I know how to, you know, gradiate things up a little bit so that I can create a little bit more impact stress to see how their tissues respond. But then it's always coming back to that initial piece like, okay, run for me again. Let me look at it. Okay, that's good. How you feeling? I feel good. You know, and you're constantly thinking on the fly. Yes. Like all the time. And and I I treat the same way. I, I and it's not it's not easy to work that way. Like it's, that's a lot of energy uh, and demand on your brain. And you, I mean, they want to, they're here, right? They're here right in front of you right now. They're paying you. Uh, you're like, Oh man, I don't, let me think about this. Give me a minute. <laughs> but that, that's not what happens. Right. And, and you don't, you have enough experience and you've had some amazing mentors that like next, I got the next thing. Like, right. what, like, what are we doing next? And you, you, you know what you're going to look at next. You know, what you're going to do next. You're, you're two sets. It's like a chess match. You're not playing checkers. You're playing chess. You're two, three moves ahead. That's cool. Yeah, I have to be. I mean, I don't know how you feel, so please tell me. But when I get to like client five or six, like I'm done. Like I know I'm done because you invest so much. And they might not understand that you're doing this, but when you're thinking constantly on the fly, it's totally valuation all the time. Like I'm looking at how are they breathing? What's their heart rate? How are they moving? what's the look in their eye, what I, what can I do next because they're feeling tired. So now I got to redirect or that one gave them a little pain. So I got to redirect like you after five or six hours of that, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm gas. So how, how do you do with it? So happy because what you're doing is all based on your observation of the, the subject, the client in front of you and that client in front of you isn't, probably the same client that you saw last time you saw them because maybe they didn't get as much sleep last night. Maybe they're having COVIDs on their mind and they were with their family or they just maybe got tested for COVID, you know, two weeks ago or a day ago or whatever, uh, whatever the stress is going on in their life is, uh, is going to impact them negatively or positively, uh, at their next performance. So no session with you is the same and you don't just have a flow sheet. You fill out and you're like, all right, run through your flow sheet. You're going to start on the bike and you're going to do this, this, and this. I'm not even going to ask you how you're feeling today. What kind of, what kind of treatment is that? What kind of, what kind of training is that? And, and the great ones, and I've been fortunate enough to have some, all, like Jordan's like this and Ken Clark uh, is like this, and, and that's how their approach is. And Ken's more of a professor than anything else, uh, but is an amazing trainer. He's just chosen not to do as much of that. He works with USA Olympics. I got to hook you two up. Yes. Uh, he's a wizard, but that's what he does. Everything is dependent on how that client presents in front of them that day. And then they go from there. Yeah. And maybe you got a couple things in mind you want to work on. Right. Yeah. But you don't have the whole session in a flow sheet like some PTs do. And you know what they're like. Oh, just run. 